You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Genesis chapter 3, and don't stand just yet. And let me, let me go back and just say again, thanks for allowing us to invest in your children. Um, it's a real blessing. We've had a great time. We've had a lot of fun and uh, plenty of amounts also, though, of spiritual focus. And uh, hopefully you're going to see that blend a little bit even uh, today. You know, we'll have a spirit, spiritual focus. Then we'll also, though, have the program. And, and uh, I was able this week to speak to the older children, uh, the third through the eighth graders. And, and I have found, like I'm sure that you... You already know this, that they, they really enjoy object lessons. If you give them something that they can uh, put their hands on or something that they can, they can experience, then that helps them to kind of get the point sometimes. And, and so for what are the lessons this week, then to drive the point home on the first night, I, I did a, an object lesson where I had them draw a picture. And, and I want to just show you some of the results of that. Our, our, uh, our assistant pastor, Brother Samuel, who leads the music, um, I did this exercise in class, then I did it later with some more because it was so much fun. And uh, so I showed them a picture of Brother Samuel, and I think we've got this up here. And I mean, good looking guy, you know, he's just kind of, uh, you know, he's just kind of there. Okay, so, you know, uh, Brother Samuel, uh, I snapped that of him right before Bible school, didn't give him much warning. And so that's a picture of Brother Samuel. So I showed this picture to the third through eighth graders, and I, and I asked them, I gave him about 30 seconds, and I said, okay, now duplicate what you remember seeing. And so I just wanted to show you some of the results of that, because it was fun, okay? So let me just show you this first picture. This is what somebody submitted. There's Brother Samuel, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see the resemblance there, yeah. Okay, all right, then we have another one. And that one, I mean, yes, yeah, you can tell a little girl drew that one, so... She wanted to make sure he had, he had real nice eyelashes, okay? And then we got another one here. There's Brother Samuel. <laughs> right. Uh, his pupils are large uh, in that one, I guess. There he is. And then there's, the fa- there's my favorite one. That's Brother Samuel. And uh, that was a, I, I think that's the winner. So, um, you know, <laughs> so there we have this, this exercise. You know, we did it for fun, but I did it to make a point. Okay, and I, I don't just make fun of Brother Samuel. Um, I, this was for a reason. And, and the, the conclusion that I drew from that exercise is the less time you spend looking at a picture, the less likely you are to reproduce it. The less time you spend looking at a picture, the less likely you are to be able to reproduce it. And, and so that happens in that exercise, but it also, it, it happens in life. It happens in our spiritual lives. See, we have a picture of what we're supposed to think about God like, how, how we view God. We have this picture in our minds, but the less time you spend thinking about that picture, the less likely you are to reproduce the picture. See, even if you're an experienced artist, if you have plenty of time to look at the original, your chances of faithfully duplicating it go way up. And spiritually speaking, um, let me just say this, the most important thing about you, 
Okay, if I was to summarize the most important thing about you, I would say this. The most important thing about you is how you view God. In your mind right now, how you perceive God to be is the most important thing about you. And the reason that that's important is because how you view God determines how you live before God. Your actions will be determined by your picture of God. So you must then make absolutes for sure and be absolutely certain that you know what God is like. That you have an accurate picture of God because that will determine how you live. And, and the problem is many people have a tough time then um, with getting an accurate picture of God because their lives haven't been very exposed to God. They haven't had a lot of time seeing God. And when I say seeing God, I don't mean you see his body because the Bible says God's a spirit. Um, but I mean you understand his attributes. You understand what he's like. You understand uh, the things that make him who he is. And Genesis 3, actually most people don't think about it this way, but Genesis 3 gives us a glimpse in what happens when our view of God is not correct. See, Genesis 3 is a story that most of us are probably familiar with, and, and maybe you're not, but it's the story of Adam and Eve. I would think that most of us in here have, have heard the names Adam and Eve. And, and let, let me read then this passage. And if you need a Bible, by the way, there should be Bibles in the pew right in front of you if you need one. Genesis chapter 3 is the very first book of the Bible. And we're just three chapters in, so it should be close to the beginning. So Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, let's read what this says. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So this is Satan, and he comes to Adam and Eve, or Eve rather, in the form of a serpent, and he begins speaking to her. And the first thing he says is, yea, hath God said. He starts to cast some doubt on God's word. Verse 2, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. There was one tree in the whole garden... That God said, I don't want you to eat of. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there in the middle of the garden. And, and that's the one that you are not supposed to touch. You're not supposed to eat of, rather. Eve may have added some instructions there by saying we shouldn't touch it. But she did have the idea that we are not to eat of that one tree. And then look at what Satan does. He comes back in verse 4. The serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Can't you just imagine how he said it? Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, or day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You know, this is a heartbreaking story because if you think about the story in a big picture, Adam and Eve started out with a clear view of God. You know, everything that they knew pointed to the kind of God that he was. I mean, just think about it. They lived in this beautiful garden. And, you know, we had decorations up here, mystery 
mystery island and they lived in this beautiful garden that God created and everything about it was beautiful. Everything about it was perfect. I mean, they, there were no, there were no um, gnats. You live in South Dakota in the summertime. My son and I have been trying to throw the ball around at night and we're like the whole time, we're throwing the ball and we're doing this the whole time. South Dakota gnats, mosquitoes. There were no mosquitoes. I mean, everything was just perfect. They lived in this perfect place, in this perfect garden. Everything that God does is perfect. When his word is able to create and it's unhindered, everything's perfect. That's the, that was their view of God. Everything he does is great. Everything he does is right. He created all these interesting animals that they named. He created this night sky filled with beautiful stars that they could look at. There was a sun by day. There was a moon by night. Genesis tells us, listen, God made it all. And you should believe what the Bible says. God made it all. He created everything. And that was Adam and Eve's view of God. That, that this wonderful creator literally just spoke things into existence. God gave them responsibilities as well. They were created to bear God's image. They were told to take care of the garden. They were told to name the animals. They were told to be committed to each other. One man, one woman for life, which is the Bible's plan for marriage. They were to reproduce children after God's image. And, and, and they had one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. So the concept is pretty simple. Yeah, if, if you obey God and you live a good life, you're going to, I mean, if you obey God, you're going to live a good life. But if you don't obey God, then you're going to watch it fall apart. And they had no reason to doubt what God said. God had proven himself through creation. He had proven himself in his word. And everything was great and beautiful and God's creative abilities were on display because everything he spoke into existence was good. And when God's word is spoken and unhindered, the result is always good because God is always good. And if God is always good, then what he produces is always good. But then a problem came. Satan came in the form of a serpent and he came to Adam and Eve and his first words were, yay, hath God said. He was saying, did God really tell you you shouldn't eat of that tree? What's that about? You know, it's like the, the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other and you're kind of going back and forth and trying to figure out which one to listen to. That's what's happening here. Uh, that the, Satan is the, is the devil on this shoulder right here. And they, yet they're remembering God's words over here. And they're kind of looking back and forth like, you know, which one am I going to pay attention to? And what Satan was doing was he was casting doubt on God's word. He was causing Eve to doubt that what God says is true. Because listen, if you can't trust God's word, you can't trust God. What God says reveals who he is. And if Satan could cause Eve to doubt God's word, then he could begin to affect her view of God and therefore he could affect her behavior. He then goes a step further when he says, you shall not surely die. Now he's calling God a liar. He's literally, he casts doubt on God's word. Then he calls God a liar by saying, you're not going to die. God knows if you eat of that tree that your, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God. You're going to be able to tell good and evil and he doesn't want you to be like that. So when the woman now looks at the fruit, and it's interesting, verse 6 it says, when the, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now, let me ask you this. Um, did the fruit, do you think the fruit looked suddenly better that day? 
Do you think the tree was more beautiful that day? Yeah. There you go. Excellent. <laughs> I, it's been Bible school this week. So, do you think, kids? No. Yes. And, and, and by default, if they don't know it, the answer is Jesus. Okay, so. Yeah, that's true. The tree didn't look better. The fruit didn't look better. It's not like things looked differently that day. But, but, but this day, after Satan cast out on God's word, now that she looks at the tree, suddenly it, it, doesn't, it looks different to her. Not because the fruit is different, but what's changed? Her view of God changed. See, before, before, when she looked at the fruit of that garden, she trusted God's words. And when she trusted God's word, she had no reason to think that she should need that, or that she should eat of that fruit. But now that she's doubting God's word, and now that she's wondering, is God holding out on us? Now that she's wondering or questioning God's character, suddenly the fruit looks better. And so they take it and they eat it and immediately they know that they've messed up. They try to hide themselves from God. They try to cover their sin. They have to deal with consequences. Uh, they have to watch death take place. God kills a, a, a lamb so that they can be clothed and there can be a sacrifice. Then they have to be removed from the place, the only place that they'd ever lived. And it was all because they disobeyed God and that's all because their view of God changed. Everything changed when their view of God changed. Listen, how you view God is going to determine how you live before God. Because what you value determines what you do. If you value money, your schedule will be revealed. It will reveal that you value money. It will be all about work. But if you value your family, your schedule will, be re it will reveal that too. If you value motorcycles, your garage will reflect your values. Your time, your money, uh, you know, the uh, stability of your marriage may be reflected if you love, if you love motorcycles. Listen, uh, the reason our view of God matters is because it directly impacts our, our spiritual future. Adam and Eve's view of God or, or the devaluing of the view of God caused them to lose everything. And I, what I want you to get this morning is that if you view God incorrectly, it will lead you to living and doing things and, you know, and acting out in certain ways that doesn't please God. It will be reflected in your actions. Your life will reveal if you, view, if you value God or not. Uh, we've been in Romans 1 on Wednesday nights for a, a, few, a couple of months and and we were talking about anxiety and how our view of God determines how we live before God. And if you read Romans 1, look at the end of that chapter. And you find out that's the end of those that don't view God properly. I'm just here to tell you that if you don't have the right view of God, then you will not live before God in a way that pleases Him. And, and so how, you're like, okay, what does that have to do with us? Well, today's Bible School Sunday. Meaning that we're here because we, our children are about to be coming out onto this platform in just a minute. So, so your view of God doesn't just impact you. Your view of God and how you live before God is being watched by the next generation. And if our view of God will either lead us to spiritual disaster or keep us from spiritual disaster, how much more important to know that little eyes are watching us every step of the way. 
It's Bible school Sunday. I mean, I'm a family man. My children are, uh, I've got children in the program that are going to be up on the platform as well. And this message is just as much for me. But the message that I want you to get today is you better represent an accurate picture of God to your children or it will skew their view of God. And thus the result will be that their actions and life before God will not be pleasing to God. How do you give them a proper view of God? Well, God's word. This is how God has revealed himself to us. This is how he wants us to know about him. And as long as their view of God in the garden was strong, then their view of God was strong. But as soon as their view of God took a hit, their view of, God, or their view of God's word took a hit, their view of God was devalued. Listen, the most reliable way for you to get a clear picture of God for your life and for your children's life is to major on God's word prioritize God's word in your home. If we want our children to avoid lives of spiritual disaster, they must have a steady intake of truth. You say, okay, well, so how do they get a steady intake of truth? If this is what they need to avoid spiritual disaster, how do they get a steady intake of truth? Well, most people would jump on, on 1 Timothy 3 on this verse that says that, that the church uh, is the house of God, which is the living, uh, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. So the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, which means the church is established on God's word and it represents God's word. The church of the living God, the house of the living God. So a lot of parents then will say, okay, then I need to make sure that my children are in church. And to that I say, amen. And see, I'm not saying that because of what we can get out of you. I'm thinking about that because, again, I'm a family man. And I know how valuable it is to me when other people invest truth in my children. I, I value that. I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful that people invest their li in their lives, uh, in my children's lives, and, and help them with truth. You need a, a good local church on a consistent basis so that a pastor and teachers and friends can give God's word to you. You need someone to speak truth into your life on a consistent basis. But did you know that the church is not the only agent of truth? See, the Bible says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, there's one, the one agent of truth is obviously Eastside Baptist Church is an agent of truth. Our job is to give truth out. But your home is also an agent of truth. You're responsible not just to train in God's word, but to teach God's word. To admonish, it means literally to teach, to convey truth. You have the responsibility at home to be an agent of truth. Dads, if no one ever teaches your children the Bible, how much would they get from you? If you really want to know how serious that your home should be about God's word, Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament tells us very clearly that the word should be everywhere they look. It should be on the posts of the doors and it should be written and you should be quoting it and you should be meditating on it and speaking on it and, and studying it. That your home is to be an agent of truth just as much as God's word is an agent of truth. And I just want to tell you this this morning because remember we go back to the beginning. We go back to the thought at the beginning, that picture of Brother Samuel. The less time those kids had with that picture, the harder it was for them to duplicate what they were seeing. But the same is true in our children's life. The less time they have getting a picture of God, the harder it's going to be for them to reproduce God in their lives. 
They need a steady intake of God's word through a local church, but not just through a local church, but also from you as mom and you as dad in your home. We are both as a church and as, a fam as families, we are agents of truth. And as a church, we are here not to take that responsibility from you, but to complement that responsibility. We're not here to take over because you know why? God gave children to parents. And if you bring them to church and you, and you let truth be poured into their lives, that will help them. But that's, what, three or four hours a week maybe. By my estimation, there's 160-something hours left. And most of them should be spent in your home. Most of them will be influenced by you. What I'm saying to you today is the less they see of the picture, the less likely they're going to grow up and be able to reproduce it. If they don't catch an accurate view of God from you, their risk of spiritual devastation rises exponentially. Listen, I don't know about you. I don't want my children to experience spiritual devastation. I don't want my children to experience spiritual disaster. And we wonder why so many of them do, yet their view of God is being shaped by things that, that, that don't have the responsibility to shape their view of God. Why is the culture teaching our children what God should be like? I mean, we send them, to, many send them to schools. And the more I hear about what's happening in public schools these days, what's being taught and what's being promoted, I'm thinking that's not a place that I want my children to be learning. And if they are going to public schools, then I'm thinking, then I better up my, my, my responsibility to pour truth into their lives because they, it's going to be countered by all these other things that are totally against what the Lord is trying to do through his word. See, here's the application. It starts with this. You can't accurately represent or present a picture of Christ unless you know him. See, how are you going to present a picture of Jesus Christ to your children to keep them out of spiritual disaster if you don't know him in the first place? What I mean is that you need to start with a personal relationship with God. And what does that mean? Well, you, it starts like this, that you acknowledge the Bible says that you are sinners, all of us. Romans 3.23, all of sin. We've all come short of the glory of God. And what we learned this week, even in Bible school, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. There is a penalty for the sins that we've, that we've committed. And that penalty is separation from God in a place, for, in a place called hell forever. That's what the Bible says. And if we were to stop there, we'd think we have no hope. But a verse that's going to be quoted this morning, but God commended his love toward us or proved his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. He took our place on the cross so that we don't have to die in our sins and we can choose, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we will turn from our sin and place our faith alone in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that, that he will save us from our sins and take us to heaven when we die. This week I taught a lesson about sin keeping us out of heaven and, the, and there were some children saying, I didn't know that sin keeps you out of heaven. And listen, and maybe you don't know that either, but if you try to get into heaven with your sin, the Bible says he won't, God cannot let you in because he's a holy God 
So let somebody do with your sin what only they can do. That's Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. He can take it all away. And then you have an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with God. If you, though, are going to present an accurate picture of God to your children, then you better know him first. And that decision can be made by you today just like it was many of your children. But number two, our children's view of God must be presented clearly and consistently if we expect them to get it right. How do you do that? Well, the word of God's got to be prioritized in your home. You are an agent of truth. You are responsibility for the moral education and the spiritual education of your children. But second, then it's confirmed at church. And as you bring them here and they hear the same things here that they're hearing at home, then suddenly the light bulbs start to go on and they say, I heard this at home. It must be true. I'm hearing it at home. I'm hearing it at church. I better listen to this. And we're raising their opportunities to live lives that please God by working together as agents of truth. It starts at home. It's confirmed at church. God's word, parents, the church. God's word, parents, the church. Those three things working together. Listen, our family, our family likes putting puzzles together, especially around the holidays. But one thing is true. It's a lot easier when you have the picture to look at. It's a lot easier when the box is sitting there. Sometimes we fight over the box. We're a good unified family, you know. We try to move the box closer to ourselves because we're working on this one section. But listen, if you didn't have the picture to look at, what are the chances you'd be able to put that puzzle together? Very, very low. If your children don't have a clear picture of God in their lives through their parents and through a good church, their chances of reproducing that as they become adults is very, very low. And I want to encourage you today to decide... I'm going to prioritize God's word for my children. I'm going to prioritize God's word in our family. And I'm going to prioritize a local church because they need all the truth they can get right now. They've got all kinds of other voices coming at them, don't they? They need a balance of truth constantly being fed into their lives if we expect them to live lives that avoid spiritual disaster. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. We're going to have a quick invitation here. An invitation is just an opportunity for you to respond to God's word. And I know this may feel a little bit awkward or different. But you have an opportunity to make a decision for Christ this morning. And I hope that you will. And it could be that just even right there in your seat, you're deciding right now. You know what? It's time for me to get serious about God's word. I'm the dad. Or I'm the mom and I've got to teach God's word to my children. It's time for me to get serious about that. Or maybe you're saying we're doing a pretty good job at that. But we haven't prioritized a church as an agent of truth in our children's lives. And it's time that we take a step up in, in making sure that agent of truth is, is given the same kind of hearing that we let culture give. Because we need balance we need some way to counter what is constantly being fed into our children's lives right now. We need a family that's established on God's word. And we need a local church that preaches and teaches God's word on a consistent basis. If God spoke into your heart this morning, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give you a chance, an opportunity to respond. 
And uh, let's stand together real quickly. We're going to stand and I'm going to pray. And if God's spoken to you, let's take the time that we need during this invitation. We've got plenty of time, all the time we need. If God's spoken to you this morning about the role that, that God's word should play in your family or God's church should play in your family, why don't you take a moment to respond? It could be even that in your own life right now, you're deciding, you know what, I need to know Christ. I don't know him. And how am I going to present an accurate picture if I don't know Christ myself? And you could respond for that as well. We'd love to pray with you about that. Let's pray, then we'll give you a moment to respond. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.